You're listening to Batting 1000 with Dale Vermillion, where heavy hitters from mortgage, real estate, and business share their secrets for lasting success. With your host, award-winning sales strategist and industry icon, Dale Vermillion. Hey, this is producer Jake. We are here together in our newly renovated corporate studios on Florida's sunny Gulf Shores for the final episode of season one of Betting a Thousand with the one and only Dale Vermillion. Dale, welcome to your own show. <laughs> Thanks, Jake. <laughs> so today's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we're going to be looking back at some highlights from this past season, which featured a who's who of mortgage, including Barry Abib, Clayton Collins, Dave Savage, Alex Kutsuchin, Kutsuchin. We both struggle with that one, but he's so famous. We'll just call him Alex. Everyone knows who he is. Scott Payne, Kristen Masterly. I mean, there's just a whole mess of people that we had in season one who were just incredible. Uh, as we like to say, they are, as we would esteem, the heaviest hitters in our industry. And boy, boy, did they step up to the plate for us in season one and for you, our beloved listeners. So, But before we look back, let's uh, let's look forward for just a minute to season two, uh, which is right around the corner. We're going to be launching that very, very soon. We've already filled out another Super hard-hitting lineup, starting with our leadoff for season two. Uh, Dale, who are you going to be sitting down with first? My good friend, Garth Graham from Stratmore. Uh, one of the most knowledgeable guys in the entire industry, and he is going to let us know what we need to do to succeed in 2023 and some of the, the challenges that we can overcome. So it's going to be an awesome, awesome interview. Can't wait. It's going to be a phenomenal season where we will hear from top producing originators, executive leaders, both at the lender level as well as the vendor level. We're also going to be sharing some more details soon on that. But uh, for now, just like all of your favorite podcasts, all you have to do is subscribe in your favorite podcasting app or on YouTube. Uh, you can even get some email notifications every time we release an episode, plus event announcements, uh, articles by Dale, a whole bunch more, um, even the opportunity to earn some swag by sharing the show with your friends and colleagues. All you have to do is just enter your email at daredevilling.com forward slash B1K forward slash subscribe. That's two forward slashes. we got the link in the show notes if you need it. That's daredevilling.com forward slash B1K for batting a thousand and then forward slash subscribe. Uh, but again, you can just click the link in the show notes. All right, let's get this replay underway, starting with our very first guest on Batting a Thousand. Uh, that's going to be the founder and CEO of STP Solutions. He's a great friend of ours and a great friend to our nonprofit as well, Mortgage Professionals Providing Hope. You can learn more about that at mpph.org. Deal, uh, let me just ask you this real quick before we start. Why did you want to lead off uh, the very first episode of your podcast with Scott Payne? Well, not only is he probably the foremost expert on conversion uh, and understanding call cadence and contact and follow up and all of those things. But he is just an incredible human being, just filled with integrity, heart as big as the state of Texas. Um, I just really felt that Scott was a great uh, lead off for us uh, because he's just got so much to offer. Well, let's listen back to you and Scott discussing why lenders and loan officers need to get back to the basics. What we find is that, you know, People just haven't, you know, they're not following up the right way. And customers expect a certain experience when they hit the submit button on a lead provider. They expect that their phone's going to ring within seconds. They expect they're going to receive text messages. And when you're a customer, when you're a company who's not following up with the customers in the right way or have a strategy, it doesn't look very good. Um, so, you know, we spend a lot of our time on that prioritization, setting up the structure the right way. I talked about loans. So one of the things that really we've uncovered as kind of the digital mortgage uh, you know, has happened over the last couple of years as you started to, hey, go fill out my app, go fill out my application, you know, go to this link. Well, there's a lot of missed opportunity there because sometimes if you give that link to a customer too early in the process and you've given them and say, hey, go fill this out and then they go fill it out and then they ask, you ask them for their social security number or you ask them to connect to their bank accounts. If you give it too early in the process, they're going to, going to abandon. And it's just going to yep. say, I'm not going to fill this out. 
And what we find is that companies are missing out on a huge chunk there of customers who got into the process and they ended up abandoning uh, halfway through. And so what we're helping clients with now is setting up a prioritization structure for how they follow up with those uh, those abandoned applications. So there needs to be, it's almost becomes like a lead again, even though it's in your POS. And so it's all setting up the prioritization and it's not just the leads anymore. Now we're following up now with loans. And then you get into the LOS. There's opportunities there when you pull credit and the customer, and maybe you've pitched the loan to somebody, you need to follow up with them in, in an organized way. Follow up to get, you know, talk to the spouse and to do this and that. So we're working a lot with integrations with their systems to come back into the lead management system and then prioritizing those now loans with the leads, which are also important. We can't forget about our leads. So how do we structure that? And we have all kinds of tips and strategies and things that we use. Every organization is just a little bit different with their process. We're able to kind of fine tune that. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's 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 the, the foundation of what we do yeah. is the prioritization, saving the sales rep time because they spend time thinking about what to do next, right? Just think of, you know, when, when you get done doing a task and you need to figure out what to do next, the amount of time that you spend there is monumental. I mean, it's just a ton of time wasted every day. 40% of your day really is wasted. If you add up all of those one minute here, five minutes here, 10 minutes here, you add all that, you've wasted 40% of your, of your day. And so we're hoping to reduce that down as low as possible so that you can make as many phone calls as you can per day or make, you know, send as many messages as you need to per day or emails, whatever you need to do. We can save you some time in your day. And that's, that's ultimately what we're trying to do. So Dale, obviously you have a lot to say when it comes to prioritizing from, uh, excuse me, prioritizing loan officers time, you know, following up with borrowers, yep. delivering a white glove customer experience. What would you add there to what Scott just laid out? Well, he hit the four of the most important elements of sales success and business success in the mortgage industry. He talked about the importance of response. Um, remember, uh, not only do people expect you to respond to them quickly, and if you don't, they're going to go to somebody else. They're not going to wait around for you. That's that's absolutely critical. But if you don't respond quickly, the message you're sending is they're not that important to you. And that's a terrible message to send if you want to create a great customer experience. So response is absolutely critical. It shows respect. It, 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 it gets you ahead of the competition, gives you the chance to win. He then talked about relationship. He talked about this, this my, my number one pet peeve in the mortgage arena, this link pushing mindset of we don't want to talk to anybody. We're going to shoot them a link. And we have all these abandoned applications, obviously, because the customer gets to a part where they're not comfortable and there's nobody there guiding them through that. Loan option to change that. They need to, to, to co-pilot. It was interesting, Jake. I was just speaking as a keynote at the Lenny Tree Summit. They had some of the top tech leaders in the country there, brilliant people who have built incredible technologies. Mm -hmm. And they finally admitted to the fact that all this technology isn't working if you don't have a loan officer guiding the customer through the process from a relational standpoint. Yeah. And then lastly, he talked about the importance of follow-up and prioritization. Those are two critical things. If you don't stay in contact and if you expect your operations team to do it and you as the loan officer don't do it, then you're severing the relationship, you're giving it to somebody else, and you're trusting it's going to be taken care of, and it might not be, and they won't have that white glove experience. But man, prioritization, look, if you aren't putting first things first and your best leads and your best opportunities first, then you are creating negative responses for yourself because you're putting yourself in front of people that may say no, they're going to deplete your energy, they're going to deplete your own momentum, sales is largely about momentum. If you start, as I say all the time, sell early, sell often. If you start the day with sales, you prioritize your efforts, you put them in the right place, you time block them out. You can't help but succeed in this marketplace. 
Couldn't agree more. You know, one of the other nuggets that Scott shared during this conversation was when to follow up with leads specifically based on their initial routing. So let's listen to that tactical nugget. Talk a little bit about, um, you know, what are you seeing out in the marketplace from the vantage point of best times to contact customers, uh, best time to convert those leads? Is there certain times of days? Is there certain days of week that you say, you know, studies show that these are the times when you really have the most success? Because that's a constant question that I get all the time from lenders and loan officers is when's the optimum time that we should be trying to reach out to get with these customers? So, so there's two, two sides to this. One is the internet lead. I have an, a really good example for that. And then the, the, the realtor lead or the referral lead, we can talk a little differently there. But ultimately, there's a data point not a lot of people use and a lot of people think about. And that is what time of the day did the lead come into the system? Yep. And they forget about that date and time. Now, of course, you know, day one, day two, you want to call them at different times throughout the day and try to get something. Uh, but try to always call them whenever you call them around the same time of the day that the lead came in. And actually yep. it's not just, let's say the lead comes in at noon, I need to call them at noon. My recommendation is to call them at 1130 because someone who went on to an internet website and started to you know, look for a mortgage, they didn't just go to a website and hit submit. They were doing some research online 20 minutes before, 30 minutes before. And there's a good time there, right? So if it's 1130, let's say, and it's my lunch break at work and I'm going out and shopping for a mortgage, it's probably a good time each day throughout the week that I'm available because it's my lunch break. Yep. Use yep. that data point strategically to know uh, the, when to call. Uh, we use this a lot on age leads, for example. So if I'm calling a lead that's 15 plus days old, you would not believe the number of contacts you'll get on some of your age leads, money you've already spent money on, you know, dollars you've already spent that, you know, that a lot of people have thrown in the trash can at this point, more than 15 days. Yep. But if you're using that strategy to call them around the same time of the day the lead came in, you're going to see some really gold in some of these leads because, you know, think about uh, a really competitive lead space where someone's hitting submit and they're getting calls from five lenders. They got blown up. Their phones are blown up. They're, you know, they're in a, a state of fatigue as it relates to the mortgage. You know, maybe they didn't move forward and it was just kind of fatigued through it. And you can let it rest for a little bit and then call them around the same time of the day uh, that, that uh, they put it in. It's huge. The, the idea came from, to be honest, when I was at Nation Star, we... Uh, we had a huge servicing portfolio. And one of the ideas that I had was to go out and ask our servicing partners, could you provide me what time of the day customers call in to make a payment yep. or to call in about a question about their mortgage? And we used that time of day for our outbound strategies. We said, okay, if they're available to call customer service historically around these times of the day, how can we use those strategically on our outbound efforts to try to get them on the phone? Good. So uh, I think there's some, there's some really good gold data points that not a lot of people think about that you already have right there. Yeah. So when you hear that advice, yep. it seems so obvious. And yet it was brilliant for Scott and the team at NationStar to pioneer this technique and then perfect it in the work that they do at STP Solutions, optimizing their CRM automation. So Dale, what are your thoughts on exactly when Lorna should be calling? Well, you know, he nailed it because every human being has a life rhythm. We all do. We, we've got routine that we go through. And there's just certain times we are not available and there's certain times we are. And if you pay attention to the cadence of your customers, they will tip you 
off on when those times are. The problem is a lot of uh, loan officers, they want the customer to be available when they're available. It just doesn't work that way. It's, it's like the analogy I give all the time. You know, you and I love to duck hunt. I've, I've done that my whole life. It's my favorite hobby. And I've said my whole career, you know what? The thing about duck hunting you need to understand is you only get ducks when the weather's a little bit foul and when the birds are around. If you go out in a bluebird 85 degree day, you're not going to get any ducks. You can sit there with all your gear on and you can be ready to hunt, but they ain't going to show up. So it doesn't do you a bit of good. You're wasting your time. It's the same exact thing. If you don't understand the cadence and the life rhythm of your customers, then you're just not going to have success. So it's fine to try inadvertent times. You should do that. You should make multiple calls during the course of the day. Only leave one message, though. Don't leave three or four messages. You're going to be the last one to get a call back when you do that. The key is, is to know those rhythms as well as you can and stick within those. Uh, that's super well said. Well, let's take a second to look back at a fun conversation you had with a rising star in the space and someone who really understands the customer point of view when it comes to bringing a fresh line of sight into the into CX conversations, right? Um, kind of all the rage here today in the mortgage industry. Um, this conversation was with Experience.com's VP of Strategy for, for Financial Services, uh, Kristen Messerly. Uh, let's start with Kristen's take on the missing link for what a lot of originators uh, are, are just frankly missing out on in today's mortgage environment. Give me, give me just your kind of high level view on what you think is the biggest missing link in today's mortgage arena and in, in not connecting with our customers because, you know, everybody talks about a great customer experience. <laughs> everybody says they have it, but very few deliver it at the end of the day. And, and I want to hear from you. What does it take to deliver that? So I personally think the number one most important thing that a lot of companies are missing is is listening to your customer, like actually collecting the the voice of customer at multiple touch points in the process. Um, I and this is why I joined Experience.com. I mean, I've always been about voice of customer and and building a customer experience where you actually understand what they need and and their preferences. Um, but here we're able to collect the a touch point or automate a kind of survey response at multiple touch points in the process. And I think a lot of companies are, are just either collecting a survey for a review at the end of the transaction or not hearing anything at all. And um, I went through the process of buying a home earlier this year and I just think about how I ended up choosing not to go with the lender that I was first introduced to by my realtor. And I think about how much was lost in that because they didn't ask why, you know, I mean, no one ever reached out to me to find out why did you not go with this lender or check in with me. And even for a lot of people, the process is very frustrating or it can be tiresome. And if the customer just feels like they have a voice that they are able to tell someone, it can one raise a flag to catch the deal before you lose it, uh, but it also allow and it you know gives you intel into here's some of the issues that we're having across the board. Um, but it also gives the customer a sense of empowerment and that they can participate in building a better customer experience for themselves and for others. So I know you were majorly jiving with what Kristen was saying there. Uh, would love to get your thoughts on the importance of actually listening to your borrowers. Well, first off, uh, Kristen was delightful to have on, and she's so brilliant. And, and she nailed it. You know, we, we tend to, in the mortgage arena, work within a vacuum, and we got to stop doing that. And what I mean by that is we look at reports all the time. We, we look at data by the th by, by the bucket loads in this business. Every leader I work with, you know, I, they, they can tell me all their data points. The problem is all their data is telling them is the what, 
It's not telling them the why. And my question as a consultant is, okay, so you know what the problem is, but why is it happening? You know, there's two things I teach leaders all the time, Jake, that are so critical. It's cause and effect. Everything in life has cause and effect to it. So every effect that you have in a business, every effect you have in, a, in, in, in an origination's model, there's a cause to that effect. The only way you're going to find that cause is you got to dig in behind the scenes and you got to talk to your customers. You got to find out what really happened. You got to find out what they really are looking for. You've got to, as Kristen said, you got to hear their voice. And if companies will do more, spend more time doing that, and if originals will spend more time really getting to the why with their customers, boy, I'll tell you what, you open up a boatload of business. Absolutely. So later in the conversation, you asked Kristen to share more on how she recommends lenders craft an exceptional customer experience. And she had a totally unique approach, um, one that I've never heard <laughs> before or since, honestly, um, that she drew from her time as a social worker um, where she was practicing trauma-informed care. So let's take a listen back to that. Is there any other practices that you would recommend to loan officers for just getting great feedback from their customers and understanding them better? I mean, I, I just, I love how you started this with talking about the importance of listening. Man, I beat that drum all the time. Um, is there any others that you would recommend besides what you've talked about already? I think that uh, doing something celebratory at the end of the closing, I think that's always good. If you send them a bottle of champagne or a plant or whatever, um, it's just important to have that touch point that makes them feel like, okay, yeah, I was in this from beginning to end. And, and when you book into those experiences with something great, you have an awesome explanation of what the process is going to look like. And then you help them choose their loan options. And then you close with some kind of celebration and sense of empowerment, then you're going to be solid. No matter if, if some bad stuff happens in between there uh, and you're responsive, then you've had a great experience. So I think that those are the key areas I would think about. There's also a, a model I use from social work days, actually. It's based on the a trauma-informed care model that I think applies really well to sales. Um, I wrote an article in Housing Wire about it, but these five tenants are something to keep in mind, um, especially for a group of very skeptical consumers. And so that's one, create a sense of safety. Two, uh, create a sense of transparency, provide transparency. Three, be collaborative. Fourth, provide choice. And then fifth, um, ensure your customers feel empowered. So that safety, transparency, collaboration, choice, and empowerment are great things to keep in mind across the whole process, just to make sure that you provide the, the best customer experience. I love that. that. That's a drop the mic moment right there. That, that was perfect. And, and that, you know, it's interesting. I would love for, for uh, you to meet my wife, Laurel. She was a social worker for, for several years, for 10 years with the homeless um, here in wow. Florida. And yeah, she's done incredible work helping people. It's just amazing. But when you said those five, it was almost ringing in my ear. Wow, that's what Laurel did in every single interaction with people that she had. And I was picking up and learning from her every single day how I could apply that back to the mortgage business because it's the same. People are people. No matter what their situation is, people are people. And when we understand empathy and we understand how to understand by listening and, and really getting feedback from people, we can solve a lot for them and help them in an awful lot of ways. And I love how you've tied your social work background into the mortgage arena and through those things have just built a brilliant approach to customer experience. So obviously there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, we heard a little bit of, yep. you know, you relating that back to what, you know, mom has done, you yep. know, working with the homeless here. Um, but let me ask you this. How many lenders do you think come anywhere near to actually practicing this sort of an approach to 
delivering their customer experience. And for those who aren't, why do you think they should consider this sort of an approach? Yeah, it's a very, very small percentage. We, we, we say we do, but when it actually comes down to it, we don't. Um, and it, it, I think what she laid out there is a blueprint that every sing, anybody who listens to this, this podcast should take that blueprint, they should apply it, and that's how you build it. Now, the funny thing about that, as I think about those five steps, that's really the selling system we teach in a nutshell. We don't we don't use those terminologies in the GPS selling system, but that's really what we're doing is we're trying to create a safety net for a safe place for the customer. We're trying to be transparent and collaborative through the process, listening to them. You know, I love the Peter Drucker quote when he said, the problem with communication today is we listen to reply. We don't listen to understand. That's really key. So, and then at the end, empowering them. And she talked about, it, and she's so right. People remember the first thing and the last thing you do. The details in the middle and the originations process get lost a lot of times, but they do remember how you finished and they do remember how you started. So she really laid out an incredible blueprint. And my advice to any lender is take what Kristen said right there, apply it to your process, and you're going to be a much better company starting tomorrow. Love it. So let's turn to one of my favorite conversations from season one, episode three, which featured someone who I knew was sharp as a tack, but um, I, I didn't know he was wise behind his years, right? And a truly exemplary model of the next generation of mortgage leaders that we're seeing here in the industry. And that's Clayton Collins, the CEO of Housing Wire. Yep. Clayton made a comment that has stuck with me since um, we, we produced this episode. And, and what he said was, be where your audience is at every level. So let's listen back to that. This is the first time I've kind of drawn this analogy, but I, I know in, in sales and in mortgage origination and in real estate, we, we talk often about communicating with your referral sources and your past clients and your, and your, your future prospects, and you have to be where they are. So a lot of times in the mortgage and real estate world that comes like, hey, are you on, on Facebook and, and TikTok and are you doing Instagram reels and are you sending out emails to your database and are you attending local events? As a leader, you have to think about those same things. Like where are your constituents? Where, where is your audience? So when I think internally, I have to go where my team communicates and uh, our internal tool at, at Housing Wire, like we, at HW Media, like we're, our team's on Slack all day. That's how they're communicating with each other. That's how they're um, managing projects. That's how they're managing workflows. That's how they're doing the, the modern version of water cooler chat. So there's certain things that need to be communicated in, in, in that medium. There's other things that are more appropriate for email. There's other things that are more appropriate for the virtual town hall. And there's other things that are more appropriate when you, when you bring everybody in and we're based in Dallas. 50% of our team is distributed across the country. Now we're bringing everybody in on the second week of December to, to do a holiday party and have some team meetings. There's other things that are just more yeah. important to communicate in person. So it's finding the right medium for that message, but then being consistent across, across the mediums and, and also being consistent across your management team and executive team to make sure that just not just the CEO, but also your, your directors and division leaders have the, have the same message, same approach, the same strategy. And, and that's kind of the, the internal look, the investor group, the board, um, your clients, your, your partners and industry peers, like all, all different channels. So um, I, it's, it's, difficult to juggle all the different places and styles that we communicate in now, uh, nowadays, but it's extremely important to be where the audience is. So I think that is just 
exceptional advice. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it's because I'm a millennial and I prefer to communicate in uh, ways and on platforms that, you know, a lot of leaders that we work alongside don't necessarily prefer to communicate. But what a great way to display servant leadership by going the extra mile as a leader to meet your people where they are rather than force them into a different public square that maybe they don't prefer. Yep. And I know there's limitations, you know, it's something we have to sort out in the workplace. But Dale, I know you're a proponent of more traditional communication methods, right? Uh, we're not TikTok. I'm old school. We're, we're not TikToking each other here at Morgan Champions, but uh, but the team is on Slack all day. So I, yeah, I'd love to know, what are your thoughts on on how do you meet your people where they're at in today's world? Well, you've heard me say it a lot recently, um, as I've trained people around the country and spoke at conferences, You, if you want to win the market, you got to be in the market. And that means your your audience is both your customers and your colleagues. Um, and what he said there is not only brilliant, but but it's absolutely critical to today's business environment because COVID has changed everything. And what COVID has really done more than anything else, it's created isolation and it's killed collaboration. And this is the biggest, one of the biggest team problems I see as I coach leaders around the country and coach originators and and operations teams and all of those is that they're not speaking to each other because they're, they don't find that common place where they can all get together that they all agree to and have that collaborative, you know, thought provoking best practices sharing. And that's the real key right there is best practices sharing mindset. We're all working in silos and we're doing our own thing and there's duplication of effort there's things being done differently and not uniformly and these are all business killers so i think what he said is absolutely critically important to today's business world and you know i was even convicted by that maybe i need to get on slack with the team you know but of course my schedule doesn't allow a whole lot of things like that but it's 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 really imperative that you have good communication within organizations or you don't survive well and i I think that's a critical point because i mean yes we can joke about you being on slack all day long We, (laughs) we know you live in outlook we get it um but but the medium matters for sure clayton makes that point yep. clear but how you operate within the medium obviously also matters yes. right and so it reminds me of of what you talk about a lot in terms of leadership which is replicating yourself right yeah. and so it's this idea of well yeah you know meeting them in the right channel is part of the battle if you will but once you get there what are you emulating when you're there, right? So yeah. why, can you talk a little bit about what, what that looks like as a leader to replicate yourself? Yeah, well, you know, I use this as when I when I do leadership training and, and, and speaking, I always say that the, if I were to sum up the success to leadership in one word, it's replication. You became a leader because you were great at what you did. And that's why you got promoted. So what you want to create is people underneath you that think like you, work like you, act like you. Well, the only way you can do that is you've got to communicate what you did. So in this collaborative mindset we're talking about, the key is, is seeing what people are doing, identifying people that are doing things great that you can emulate with everybody else, creating a best practices mentalities, I like to call it, where everybody's using that best practice. So it becomes the uniform practice for the whole team, because look, there's 10 ways to do any project or any, any process, but there's only one best way. Everybody should be doing it the best way, not their own way. That's how you create a good team. And leaders need to be willing to share with their employees, those great traits and characteristics and strategies that they use that made them who they are. And then you create yourself. And if you've got 20 of you working for you, you don't have any problems if you're a great leader. 
<laughs> Love that. Well, Clayton didn't just have practical advice for leaders. He also had some prescient warnings for the industry. Uh, having come from finance, Clayton knows what it's like to, to be on the outside, to analyze and to act on profit potentials in this space. Let's listen to his thoughts uh, a little bit deeper on where he sees potential fintech disruption in the future. And that's what we really hope that we can do at HW Media is better connect to the information and audiences and communities that will ultimately connect a more efficient and uh, sustainable and profitable housing economy. Because if we stay siloed, I, I'm really concerned about our industry's ability to continue forward with the leaders that are in place today. That 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 means that the disruptors will come. They 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 are hungry for the market share. Um, if there's if you talk to a venture capitalist right now about why they are interested in real estate, three letters come up. TAM, 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 tangible, addressable market. There are very few markets and very few segments of our economy where the profit potential is as large as housing. That puts a massive bullseye on our industry's back. And I say our industry, because I care about the professionals that are, that are in this today. I wanna see the lenders that are out there working hard, serving homeowners, working real estate agents, innovate and also be the lenders that are successful in, in 5, 10, 20, 50 years. Um, same with the real estate side. I know there's going to be change. I, I know there's going to be evolution. I know there's going to be uh, innovation and disruptors. But I think that the players who've been building and learning and serving homeowners for, for, for decades have an opportunity to really look at the interconnected nature of our housing economy and, and be the future that they really aspire to be. So. Dale, I think it's fair to say that the current economic climate has relieved some of the disruptive forces lurking at the at mortgages doorstep, if you will, right? Right. Um, but the economy is cyclical. Inflation is going to recede. Rates are going to normalize. Margins are going to build back to healthier levels. Where do you see outside investment disrupting the space? Um, and when that happens, you know, what is the industry doing or not doing in order to protect itself and be part of that innovation, if you will, versus be overcast by it? Yeah, you know, this kind of goes back to the collaboration thing that Clayton talked about. Um, leaders need to get into groups with each other and be sharing ideas of what they're doing within their different businesses that are creating success. Hmm. You know, here at Mortgage Champions, we just recently, because the market's, you know, really, really challenging right now, uh, we brought together all of our clients, the leaders of our clients, and said, would you all like to get together and talk through how to build stronger businesses by using each other's expertise and knowledge? And they were, yes, we'd love to. And you saw, you were there with me when we saw that first meeting and how many brilliant ideas came out that everybody gleaned from that. That's the way you protect yourself from these outside forces is you strengthen yourself by becoming a team, uh, understanding that there's plenty of business for all of us. We, we, we don't need to be in silos. We, we need to be working together, sharing ideas because there's way more customers than any of us can get to in our lifetime. Yeah. And, and when you have that kind of collaborative um, kind of think tank mindset within the industry, you really do protect um, the industry and keep it the way that it's been, where it's focused on home ownership, serving the customers very well, and it doesn't just become a a you know straight fintech play with no personality, with no relationship in an industry where it's the single biggest financial decision most people ever make. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's such great advice. 
partnering, if you will, collaborating with one another is going to make us stronger, in it, not only as individual businesses, but also as an industry as a whole. And That's right. for that innovation to take place. And even originators. You know, I, I remember when I was a loan officer. You know, I, when I became the top loan officer on my team, and I, I, that's, I was pretty quick, I said, okay, well, if I'm the best on my team, what about the other teams? So I started calling other loan officers. What are you doing? And then when I was the best in my district, I said, well, what about the company? And when I became the number one loan officer in the company, I started calling other companies saying, who's your best guy? And I talked to them. Like, I just wanted, I wanted to try to be the best at whatever level I could. And I don't think people do that anymore. I think they're almost afraid to do that. There's nothing to be afraid of. I'll share with you my ideas if you'll share with me yours. And now let's see who executes better at the end of the day, because all the knowledge in the world don't matter if you don't execute. And there's always somebody that executes better than the other guy or the other gal. And that's the one who's, who's, who's going to do the best with that information. But we can all succeed in the process, which is a great thing for everybody. Yeah, that's awesome. It reminds me, um, you had a conversation with uh, Kevin Perano, KP, at uh, Ice Marsh Technologies uh, summer sales and service meeting. Yep. And uh, I laughed. I think we all laughed because, you know, at one point he was like, man, I kind of wish we could just strip us strip away all the technology and stuff and just have our guys go toe to toe and see who who just executes better right you know what i mean my, my people versus your people we'll see who wins you know it's like to some extent maybe we can get there right you know it's yeah. just let's make it about execution so well as we think about today's mortgage climate obviously a lot has changed from the market uh, that we were facing in the early episodes of season one for batting a thousand but um about the time that we had this next guest on, leading economic indicators were beginning to decay, and you and our guest from episode four gave some borderline prophetic advice to our listeners um, on how to position themselves for what we now know to be the most aggressive uptick, uptick excuse me, in mortgage rates in recorded history. So uh, let's listen back to you and Rob West, who's the host of MoneyWise, giving some much needed advice to our listeners at that time. I think this is a time where there's some wisdom we need to really heed about, you know, making sure we have reserves and making sure that we're saving properly and making sure we're thinking ahead. I would love to get your thoughts for those people listening who've come off of a couple of great years. And, you know, even though I'm teaching people every day how to master this coming market and how to continue to succeed, there is a possibility that incomes are going to reduce a little bit in the coming year. So what would be your your one or two top bits of advice to, to those individuals today? Yeah. Well, I think it always comes back to having a plan, Dale. I know you talk about this a lot. You know, it's really critical that you look not only back to reflect on where you've been, and that includes what's working, what's not working in my financial life. I think that includes developing a rhythm of gratitude so we can appreciate what we have and develop this uh, idea of contentment, not that we want to just settle for uh, you know what we have today, and we don't want to try to pursue increasing our income or achieving our goals. That's not what I'm saying. Contentment is just about accepting the provision that we have today, whatever that is, and living confidently within it. But then we want to look forward and say, where are we headed? And you're exactly right. We have some challenges uh, ahead. Uh, we had some headwinds that um, have reared their ugly heads. Some monetary policy is changing rapidly, and that's going to involve rising interest rates. We have obviously inflation uh, that has creeped up, and it's despite what the Fed said around it being transitory, which is their word for temporary, we're seeing that they're now backing away from that, and some of these increases in prices uh, are going to be with us for a while. That's going to create some challenges. We've had a market that's just been roaring on the upside, certainly, you know, the last year, but in the last couple of years, but even the decade before that. And so 
we're a bit overvalued, even though our economy is still strong, the consumer's strong. And in our place in the world, the U.S. is still incredibly strong and the U.S. dollar. But we've also got some debt issues we're going to have to deal with uh, down the road. I mean, the amount of debt we've taken on in the nation is staggering and um, we can handle it. I mean, we're still better off than a lot of countries uh, and our economy can support it. But what's the trajectory of this? And what about for our kids and grandkids? And what are they going to be dealing with? So you put all that together. And yeah, I mean, I, I would expect and the people that I trust uh, are saying that the market's going to be at best choppy over the next year. And, you know, could we find ourselves in a situation where, you know, interest rates are a bit higher than they are today a year from now? Absolutely. Could we find ourselves in a recession in a couple of years? Uh, sure. You know, I mean, these economies are cyclical and we've been kind of on this uh, upward cycle here for quite a while now. So what does all that mean? Well, it means I need to be responsible, found faithful, I would say, um, with what passes through my hands. And the only way I can do that is to be planning and projecting and looking forward, going back to those five principles I shared, and then running some scenarios. What would it look like for me to live on 20% less? And how would I need to reorder my finances? Do I have enough margin so that I could absorb some kind of hit like that? Do I have a properly funded emergency fund? I talk about that with a lot of our callers. You know, I'm I'd love for you to have three to six months expenses in a liquid savings account that's not at the risk of the market because, you, you know, when you need it and the unexpected will come, which that unexpected could be a, a loss of income uh, all or part. It could be a major expense that was unanticipated. We want to be able to rely on that and obviously not have to tap debt. So I think it's really just about reflecting back, looking forward, planning, coming back to the basics. And it all really is driven by my lifestyle, which I think is the greatest barrier to financial success when we allow lifestyle creep, I call it, to really take uh, take over and um, allow us to live beyond our means. So obviously some very poignant advice there. Um, Dale, we've seen all of this and, and even then some <laughs> come yep, to pass. Yep. Um, what advice do you have today for lenders and loan officers who are struggling to survive in this very challenging market? Yeah. So uh, great wisdom there um, by Rob. Um, that's why I love being on his MoneyWise program. Uh, and uh, the MoneyWise app is just fantastic uh, for helping. Look, um, he, he said he said advice there that applies to three different areas. It applies to business owners in the mortgage arena today to apply those principles. It applies to loan officers and originators to apply to their life um, because markets do shift. I've been through seven major market shifts in 39 years, and four of those have been massive, 87, 98, uh, 2008, and now 2022. Um, and what he's talking about there is really the most important place to communicate that is to our customers, is to have a conversation with our customers as advisors to take mortgage out of the play a little bit and focus back on, let, let's just talk about your personal economy. Let's talk about your lifestyle. Let's talk about the future trends of the market, uh, both the mortgage market and the economy and how we can help you. Remember, our product is, is, is money at the end of the day. It's not mortgages. I, I remind lenders of that all the time, that 
Uh, our product is 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 a product derived to help create saving security and stability for consumers all over the country. But you only do that when you give them great advice. Just taking an application ain't going to get it done in this marketplace. You got to move beyond that to be a true understander of the situation and the lifestyle and then provide great advice to them. So the more that we can, as lenders today, focus on really helping people move through this economy, move through this marketplace by giving sound advice on mortgage financing, on how to refinance properly, how to reduce payments, how to get out of debt, how to reduce terms, how to buy homes affordably, how to buy them wisely. These are all things that lead to one key phrase that I'm going to use, and the phrase is educator. You need to be an educator today. If lenders become that and originators become that, they're going to do way better in this marketplace than they've ever done before. Yeah, that's that's great advice. Uh, education really is critical um, in a market like today where everything's changing so quickly. Yep. Borrowers, you say it all the time, they have access to more information than ever, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're more educated than ever. No, it makes them more confused than ever. And we got to stop selling and start educating. That, that That's what we need to do. Yeah, that's well said. Well, let's stay in the economy for just another minute. In episode five, you were joined by one of the most trusted forecasters in the industry, uh, Logan Motoshami, who is the lead analyst over at Housing Wire. Uh, much of the conversation was very specific, obviously, to the market at that time. Um, you know, uh, at the time of that episode's release, if you want to, you can go back and listen to the full episode and kind of get really get a deep breakdown at that time. We'll have Logan on, I'm sure, at some point in the near future oh, to kind of get an update on this yeah, market. But um, what I do want to do is I want to share one highlight where you and Logan actually step back a bit from the data, um, which at that time was beginning to indicate that there would be a contraction in the space and talked about what loan officers can do to drive business and even steal market share as competitors begin to leave the space. I want to make sure I point out that you said something really, really important for all these lenders and all these loan originators that are out there. And it's this, you said it's going to be about flat on sales, which means that when you consider the fact that we're predicting and expecting a drop off in the number of originators and the number of lenders in the U.S. in 2022 because of the rising rates and some of them just aren't going to make it. We're already seeing some layoffs, that means those who stay and do it well will actually see an increase in their numbers and can see a record year in 2022, which I've been predicting um, since you know middle of last year, even with the rate rises coming that we knew were going to happen. So now I'm going to ask you to shift your, your focus a little bit. I'm going to have you put your originator hat back on for a minute because you had 20 years in the business and a bunch of those as an originator. What would you be recommending today? to originators to just capitalize on this marketplace and and you know to to approach it with confidence and approach it with the right mindset and any advice you would give there connect with your clients uh personally yep um thank you it's, <laughs> amen <laughs> it's a lot i mean i i remember days where we had trans boxes and faxes and, you know, we'd have to get rate sheets from, you know, from telephone calls. Things have changed. So you have no yep. excuse anymore. Yep. Productivity in the mortgage industry has skyrocketed in a sense that we have e-signings, rate quotes, apps and everything. So the advantage you have is you have to be able to want to give your time to connect with your clients and keep them in line because they're going to be bombarded by everything, right? Uh, uh, information is being sold left and right. So you have to be able to establish a relationship with your clients because trust me, there'll be 10 other people that are gonna try to take them away. And if you don't wanna give that effort, there's someone else that will. And uh, in, in this day and age, I think that's that's one thing I've, I remember from you know in the 
previous decade, how productivity wasn't great. Things took forever uh, to, to, to work on a process alone, everything. Now you have the ability to be more proactive with your clients. And uh, once you establish a relationship, that should be a relationship that sticks uh, because the competition is out there. And in a purchase market, like always, um, people get more hungry to get that uh, deal. So uh, yeah. don't let yourself get outworked by your competitor because uh, that'll be on you, not them. So not every analyst in the space understands the relational nature of origination. <laughs> he may be the only uh, one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He might be unique in that factor. Yeah. Not to write off every analyst, but you know. He, no, 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 no. But, but you know, it's, it's, it's uncommon and rare. And this is what I loved about having Logan on is it's uncommon to have the background of being an originator for that many years and be a brilliant analyst at the same time. It's a, it's an incredibly uh, unique combination. And that's what was great about having him as a guest. So one of the things that Logan really stressed is making a personal connection, right? Uh, literally in person, right? Not just Zoom, but actually get in front of, yep. you know, borrowers, real referral partners, you name it. So um, why do you think that that's so critically important, especially in a market like today, where, I mean, let's be honest, like lead volume is down, app volume is down, borrowers are getting wary because, you know, there's 20 pre-approvals on a single home and they're all competing against each other. Only one person can win. Yep. Where do you take that and how are you advising your clients on that in this market? Well, it's funny because everything you just said right there and what he talked about in connection, which is so absolutely critical, is the reason why you need to connect with people. So we have less referrals and leads than we normally do, which gives us more time to spend with our customers. And in a marketplace where things have changed so dramatically, customers are really confused and wary and fearful right now. I mean, the most common thing we hear out there is, is this the right time to buy? Or is this the right time to refinance? Or I'm going to wait uh, you know, until things get better. Well, that may actually not be the best thing to do because um, we, we know we have some inventory challenges. Other thing. The bottom line is this, if you can get with somebody um, and you can really see them and, and you can do this through virtual connection on a Zoom type platform. You can do this if you're a local lender with your local customers. I would go back to the old school mindset of let's get face to face with people as much as we can, certainly with our partners if we're in the retail yeah, world yeah, yeah. as much as possible. It's, you know, again, be in the market to win the market yep. because you're going to learn so much more and it's harder for people to say no to you. When they're face to face, that's just a reality of life. Your conversion's going to spike instantly when you start to do that. And you, I loved how he said, that's where you earned the referral business and the long-term connection doesn't happen with a, with a link. It doesn't happen with text messaging. It happens when you have a face to face, heart to heart, person to person conversation. And if you can do it in person, it's even that much better. Uh, that's so well said. It reminds me of something that uh, Katie Sweeney actually said in in the conversation you had with her. Um, she said you have to make raving fans, right? That's right. Um, and it's like how you know celebrities obviously they accumulate fans, but like how do they make their raving fans? It's that personal interaction, you know. These, yeah. You're at a concert and you see your favorite superstar, and they like hand you a signed item or something like that, right? You that's know, right. It's, it's that it's that face to face that really kind of seals the deal, if you will. Well, we're about halfway through listening back to our our favorite moments from season one. So let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Look, there's never a bad time of year to align your team or company around a shared vision and strategy for your business, but 
this might be the best time of year to do so. And that's perfect because Dale has opened up some space on his calendar for you to claim your very own personalized keynote that's delivered 100% online by our team. As margins tighten and budgets get reconsidered, we know that every penny matters, which is why right now we're running a limited time special on virtual keynotes for your team or company. You can say big by foregoing expensive hotel costs, expensive lunches, even that expensive AV tech that you have to pay those guys for by having our team live produce an online event that'll make your team members feel like Dale's in the room, even if he's a thousand miles away. From a breakdown of today's market to Dale's closest health strategies for driving business through leads or referrals, to having Dale share some of his proven strategies and talking points that are being used by our best performing partners and clients, it's never been a better time to have Dale speak directly to your team members. And there's never been better bang for buck, in my opinion, of our products and services than to host one of these live virtual keynotes where Dale can specifically address your company, your culture, your products, and your competition. Look, if you'd like to get more details, you can just visit dalevermillion.com and click the contact us button in the top right hand corner. Or of course, you can always email us at info at We'd be happy to get back to you right away. There's no cost to explore what it would look like to have Dale energize and equip your team and help you drive more business in the next 30 days through one of these live virtual keynotes. So again, just visit dalevermillion.com or email us at info at dalevermillion.com to start a conversation today. All right, so what if you're an originator and listening to this uh, Batting a Thousand season one replay? Well, the best thing that you can do right now is get access to Dale's personalized insights every single month through podcasts, videos, articles, you name it. All you have to do is visit dalevermillion.com forward slash engage, and you can even put in the promo code B1K replay to save 20% off of your subscription. That's over $500 in savings over the course of your first year being enrolled. So again, just visit dalevermillion.com forward slash engage and use that promo code B1K replay to save a bunch of money and get deals personalized insights every single month. Well, you're listening to Batting Thousand, and we are listening back to some of our favorite moments from season one. Dale, this next guest doesn't have the same name recognition that many of the other guests that we've uh, highlighted so far do, but the the guest featured in this episode, episode six, is one of the quiet operators in our industry who just has an absolute trove of mortgage knowledge and savvy. You and this guest have had a great relationship for a long time. You've watched him rise to the ranks at one of the largest, if not the largest aggregator in the space. Let's listen back to one of my favorite clips from your conversation with the head of sales for LendingTree, Will Adams, where he shares a truism about the separation we are seeing right now in this market between great lenders and good lenders. One of the companies I worked at in the past was Decision One Mortgage. Uh, the CEO yeah. there, JC Faulkner, uh, would often say that it's hard to distinguish good athletes when everyone is running downhill. But when the group is forced to run uphill, you're really able to see some runners pull away from the pack. And, and that's certainly what we're seeing right now. It, when volume was high and competition was low, we saw conversion ratios really clustered together. Uh, certainly some lenders converted better than others, but they were all fairly close where, uh, call it late 2021 and, and so far in, in 22, we've really started to see lenders separate from each other in terms of conversion ratio. And uh, so we're, we're starting to see some companies based on their strategy, based on uh, perhaps their, their technology, based on uh, their loan officers, be able to, to really thrive in this market and, and steal share. And I think that uh, that's what we will continue to see in 2022 is a real focus on share. You know, when we look at a lot of the, the large successful companies today, uh, I would say that they became successful in markets like this, where they were able to steal share and uh, enjoy that share in, in, in times of greater originations. 
So I think we can agree that that's an apt analogy for what we're seeing in today's market. Yep. You know, obviously some great conversation there too about the great companies that we see today were made in difficult moments like we're facing today, yep. you know, just 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. So yep. um, what do you have to add to that in terms of who's going to become the big player? Who's going to steal market share in, t- in a challenging market like we're seeing today? Yeah, I love Will's wisdom in that. Uh, he's such a great guy. Um, you know, uh I was recently at the Lenny Tree Summit, as I mentioned, and and spoke at that. And in fact, Will was the one who organized all of that at, uh, at the uh, Bank of America Stadium out in Charlotte. And something happened there that was really interesting. Um, they had all of the many of the top tech leaders in the country there. Um, and they had a forum where they brought them together. And Brett McCracken, who I love, he, he asked him the question. He said, look, you know, all this technology was created for a couple of reasons. One was to bring down the cost of loan production costs. And one was to increase production, neither of which is happening right now. And why is that? Mm. And I thought the answer those leaders gave was so insightful. It's the first time I've heard tech leaders say this. I've been saying this for five years on stages all over the country. I was so glad to hear them say it. And they looked him dead in the eye and said, well, because we've come to the realization that the tech itself can't be the thing that drives your business. You need it layered with people who build relationships, who work with the customers, who communicate with them to create the conversion that you need. You're not going to get conversion just because you got the best technology. And the fact of the matter is, Everybody's got the same basic technologies at this point in in the mortgage industry. Yeah, Proliferation like, is getting universal. It is. You don't have you know a couple of companies that have great technology. Everybody else doesn't. Everybody's got technology now because it's become so affordable and it's become so widespread. The difference, the separators, like Will talked about, are those companies that double that down with just great connection with their customers great sales strategies, uh, great originations uh, approaches, and just good old-fashioned blocking and tackling to make sure that they're getting in front of their customers first, like we talked about earlier with with Scott Payne. Mm-hmm. These are the things that are separating lenders. So if you want to be separated, you you got to ramp up your, your, your sales side of your business to be greater educators, like we talked about, provide that premier customer experience, that white glove experience, but most importantly, you got to talk to your customers. That is the absolute key to the game right now. Yeah, well said. Well, Will also shared a helpful model for iterating your strategy to adapt to a shifting market. He said, create a strategy, test the strategy, and then double down on what actually works from the strategy. So let's hear about that in his own words. I've realized there's not one best practice. There's a lot of right ways. There's a lot of wrong ways. And which right way has a lot to do with your model within your company and your strategy within your company. Uh, As evidence, I've seen talented mortgage professionals at, at one company where their strategy was able to to work well, go to a new company, implement that same strategy, and that strategy no longer worked. So, you know, I think that it's important that you understand your model within your company and what you are good at and and take advantage of that. So what I often uh, talk to our partners about is first off, create a strategy. Create a strategy that makes sense for your company and for the market that you're in. So uh, certainly we're in a market right now, to your point, it's no longer a uh, taking orders kind of market, right? And, and so create a strategy around that. Secondly, 
test your strategy, make sure that it's being followed. You know, there's a lot of ways to, to um, secret shop your organization. In fact, there's, there's companies that will do it for you. Scott Payne is excellent at this. Yep. And he offers a great service, and I highly recommend that, that companies take advantage of him. But I'm surprised at how often companies are not actually following their own strategy. And, and then you know, third, it would be to test that strategy. Uh, we do a ton of testing here at Lending Tree. That is, and the, the market changes, consumer behavior changes, and so what worked in the past doesn't necessarily work any any longer. So, <laughs> Will goes on to give some nuanced examples yep. of what this can look like, um, and I, I'd, I'd heavily encourage anyone who is reaching for strategy or trying to implement a strategy right now that obviously isn't working because the market has shifted drastically, go yep. back and listen to the full episode because he has some really good insights there yep. that get really tactical. Yep. Um, but the question I want to ask you is, is he's almost presenting a, a strategy for your strategy, if that makes sense, right? right. And so I, I have a twofold question for you. First of all, how many lenders would you say even have a strategy, right? How many of them actually really take the time to develop a strategy implement the strategy, test the strategy, iterate on the strategy. Um, but secondly, even those who do have a strategy, how many of them are actually going through that secondary process of, which is more the iterative process of thinking about, okay, we've we've created a strategy, but how do we you know, regularly come back to assess whether or not that strategy is working in today's market? Yep. I think everybody thinks they have a strategy. I think probably um, half of the companies really do have a true strategy. Okay. Yep. I think very few go back and test that to make sure it works. And yeah. what he's talking about is is a word that I use all the time, which is oversight. You have to have oversight into what's happening, especially today in the work from home world we live in, where there's a, a real lack of oversight with a lot of employees as to are they really executing on and implementing the strategy you've created. It's amazing to me as I work with uh, C-level executives across the country, how many times they'll tell me what their strategy is. And strategy, by the way, has to be built on your positioning. You've got to define your positioning before you can create your strategy. How are you positioned in the market that makes you a unique, different trader from everybody else that you're working with? That's, yeah, we're, we're, we're about to roll a clip. Yeah. Will really gets into that. We're going to yeah. talk more about that. So. Really, really important. Yeah. But you know, the, the key to that is you've got to make sure that everybody is is buying into and utilizing that strategy and not just giving you words. Words don't matter. Actions are what we're looking for. And you only have that through oversight. So things like secret chopper calls that he talked about. You know, I teach uh, lenders all over the country and managers how to do call reviews mm -hmm. and side-by-sides with yep. their people. So they're Powerful. actually seeing what's happening. And you've seen it. That has the biggest impact on results of anything. <laughs> you know, we can teach training and, and sales methods that are powerful that would change the, the corporate behavior. But if if nobody's watching to make sure they're actually applying these things, they fall dead on the floor. It's when you actually have oversight that everything changes. Yeah, that's super well said. Um, I think we have time for this clip, so I want, want to roll it since we kind of yeah. talked about it a little bit of Please. positioning. So um, what I'd like to share from this conversation is where Will talks about the importance of playing to your strengths in terms of the customer journey and the customer funnel. So let's let's take a quick look at that. If lenders know where they are in the journey, they can they first identify what they're best at and focus on that, right? Some companies uh, are great at the, the earlier funnel customers. They have real estate agent relationships. That's important to them. They're able to make introductions to their agents. That is absolutely what they prefer. 
We have other partners that are very good at that late funnel consumer. When they're ready to transact, they are fast and they are good and that's what they want. Um, and, and But most importantly, they're able to create strategies and campaigns based on where they are. And, and that's one of the biggest mistakes that we have found. As, as companies transition from refinance to purchase, they, they will often have the same experience, the same journey, the same best practices. And, and uh, that's a different kind of consumer with different goals in mind. And, and same thing applies to a, a earlier funnel consumer versus a later funnel consumer. They're often looking for different things out of the mortgage company and different things out of the loan officers. So it's so important to know where they are in that journey and then make sure that you have a strategy in order to meet those customers' needs. But uh, as we started to, to uh, filter differently the consumers in the different home buying journey, we saw our, our conversions go up. We saw our lenders become more successful with our purchase campaigns, and it's, it's worked very well. Yeah, so I feel like this conversation around positioning within the funnel, within the customer journey is especially true in today's market, where lead gen, business development, partnership development management are obviously all very top of mind. Mm -hmm. um, Dale, what would you say lenders can do to extend their reach closer to the top of the funnel, if you will, if they're not already performing well there? Well, again, you got to listen to what your people are saying to your customers on the phone. Um, you know, the single biggest there, there's there's two single biggest mistakes that I that probably equal each other in the mortgage arena that I've seen forever, and they're more prominent today than ever before. And that is, loan officers get on the phone with a customer in the top of the funnel, and they are either quoting rates, which is never going to lead to a good outcome because um, you're just going to get chopped and beat in this kind of a marketplace, or they're immediately pre-qualifying the borrower. And what they're really saying to the, to the customer is, let me see if you're worth my time. <laughs> That's the wrong message to send. Yeah, if real. you're good enough, I'll spend time with you. If you're not good enough, I'm on my way to somebody else. It, it, it's, it's just a mistake. So look, um, we, you have got to, in the top of the funnel, you've got to make sure that you're listening to what that customer is trying to accomplish and trying to uh, achieve through a mortgage loan really well so that you can start to foster solution around that that is specific to them. Create a customized mindset with them all the time. And, you know, one of the things I want to point out, I love that Will's doing here. This is this is why I love, uh, we've been partners with Lending Street for a long time. I love their organization and, and I love how Will manages. Think about how much he's just saying here he knows about his clients. He, he's doing what Kristen yep. Messerly talked about earlier, yep. about hearing the voice of your of your customer. He knows his clients inside and out. They, they go to great lengths to understand their clients and try to provide support and help to them to increase their conversion. You know, we need to know our customers. He, he's given a great example of that. And that means if you want to be successful on top of funnel, do the same thing. Know your customer. Yeah, that's a great call out. Let me ask you this, and maybe, maybe it's even considered pre-funnel, if you will, right? Um, what, because, you know, 18 months ago, especially, um, you could sit at the very bottom of the funnel and do transactions all day long, right? Borrowers were, were beating down the doors <laughs> to buy yeah. houses. Yeah. Um, obviously, that's not the case right now. So lenders who were outfitted to do that bottom funnel, highly efficient, quick turnaround, quick transaction, transaction work, what do they need to be doing? How are you uh, consulting them, if you will, to get closer to the top of the funnel to actually do, you know, create leads and drive business and you know, shift to purchase in a lot of ways? 
Yep. So for consumer direct companies, the key to purchase success and, and consumer direct companies, I just heard this stat uh, from Garth Graham actually at the Lending Tree Summit that I think it's 23% of all originations and purchases consumer direct and 77% retail. Now, why is that? Um, it, it's because first off, Part of it is they don't have the connection of the realtor, obviously, but I think bigger than that is they're not getting truly committed borrowers. One of the key things that you have to do in a consumer direct environment at the top of the funnel is you have to make sure that that borrower is committed to what you need to do to buy a home in today's marketplace, which is very different yeah. than previous marketplaces. Mm -hmm. That That's a really important thing in top of funnel. Now, how do you get more top of funnel? Well, in consumer direct, here's the answer. You can only do so much to market to get people to respond. When rates are high, consumers just don't respond as much. You got outbound call. You got to build a strong outbound effort to generate opportunities out of your database, out of other things, social media, you got to be strong on, you got to build organic leads. In the retail world, you got to double, triple, and quadruple your referral partners because their businesses are hurting because of the economy. Many of them that performed last year aren't performing this year. You got to make sure they're first off good partners. And then you got to have three or four times as many of them to make up for the shortfall. That's how you create more top funnel purchase opportunities in today's marketplace. Those are such great tips. And it reminds me, we just got an email like we do. I mean, they, they come in all the time. You know what I mean? An email from one of our clients who went through one of your recent trainings and just said, he's killing it in this market. And he's he's found ways to be in front of realtors in his local network and as other loan officers start to struggle he's swooping in and he's sweeping up those realtor those realtors and those other referral sources CPAs financial planners you name it and he's just adding them to his book and he's doing transactions all day long so yeah it, it's crazy open houses are a powerful thing today and and I've spoke at conferences I just spoke in in, in a conference in California to a couple hundred people and said get out to open houses and Probably 80% of the people in the room looked at me like that was a brand new idea. <laughs> this is what we've done for decades in the mortgage arena, but you got to go back to the future here. You got to go back to the old way to do it in order to succeed in the future is what you have to do. <laughs> back to the future. I love that. That's like a t-shirt for mortgage arena. That's right. Engineers right now. So <laughs> we'll, we'll get the design team on that. Uh, this next guest, I think it'd be considered the dark horse, if you will, of season one. Uh, if for no other reason, then we both knew uh, that this person was incredibly sharp, sharp as a tack when we asked her to come on the show and that she'd done an excep exceptional job navigating some difficult circumstances when she was elevated to the current role that she's in. But I don't think either one of us realized the caliber of leader that she's proven herself to be. So mm -hmm. um, I absolutely love this conversation with Katie Sweeney, the CEO of AIM, um, and another rising star in this industry. Oh, so, man. Yep. Yeah. Let's, let's start with what uh, kind of became the anthem, if you will, uh, of this conversation. That's Kitty's commitment to lead with grit and grace. I think there's something to be said about being competitive and digging in and wanting to build something that you're really proud of and wanting to do that with people who you care about and you're invested in and that you believe in and that hopefully you can see go and do the same thing beyond you in the future. Uh, but I also think it's really important to remember that not everybody's had the same experiences or the same access and being graceful oftentimes leads to more productive conversations than approaching them with um, just a different tone. And I think there's grace doesn't mean quiet. It doesn't mean that you have to be passive. Uh, passive is certainly not the way that anybody would describe me, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> but I think it's it's approaching things that could be contentious with 
an attempt to understand. It's the believe the best in somebody else until they've given you a reason not to. And when you approach things that way, even if there is a misunderstanding or a misalignment or um, a difference of opinion, you can often find a middle ground a lot faster. And I think that's been really important to your point. It has been pretty quick. Um, I'm not going to say that I'm the most experienced person in the industry. There have been people who have been doing this a lot longer than I have, but I think being able to build bridges and close gaps that have existed and understanding how we can leverage everyone's skill set to get to a relationship or a contract or an agreement in a way that everybody's satisfied with just opens the door for more opportunity moving forward. So that's a, a long-winded way of saying, I think the grit and the grace are, they're good balances to one another. And I think it's something unique that um, that I can bring to the table and understanding both sides of it, but also finding a way to help people know that even if you're not on my team today, that doesn't mean that we can't be on the same team at some point in the future. And how do we leverage each other's skills and resources in a way that's going to make us both more productive moving forward? Yeah. So one of the things I love about a leader like Katie is that she sees potential that's sadly been missed yep. um, or even more sometimes ignored by yep. this industry in the past. Yep. Now it's changing. Um, and that's in no small part due to women leaders like Katie. Um, yep. But it's not just women leaders. It's servant leaders, leaders who go out of their way to cultivate the potential in the people around them. Yep. Um, and you've, you've been an example and an advocate of servant leadership for decades in this industry. I mean, your philosophy and our philosophy here at Morgan Champions is literally to put others first. Um, so I, I, wanted if you, I wanted to know if you could just maybe reflect on the progress that you've seen um, in making that idea, uh, servant leadership, putting others first, a more prominent belief in this industry, and what it's like to see young and up-and-coming leaders like Katie take up the mantle of servant leadership. Well, uh, man, I'll tell you what. That was one of my favorite interviews ever. Uh, Katie proved in that conversation why she's had such a meteoric rise to success in leadership. It's because she could, puts people first. She she doesn't she doesn't look at bottom lines and numbers and statistics and data to determine her success. She looks at the people around her and she conveys confidence in them and. Her phrase, grit and grace, became one of my favorite phrases I've ever heard. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, it's rock solid. Yeah, you know, it's it, just recently I've been I've been teaching off of a principle that uh, Kevin O'Connell, the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings, talks about, which is being demanding without being demeaning, which is the same concept. It's servant leadership where you can you can certainly direct people to be exceptional, and that's what Katie does. Um, and, and, and demand high things out of them, but you never do it from a demeaning standpoint. It's from a standpoint of teamwork. It's from a standpoint of, I know you've got it in you. Even if nobody else has realized it, I realize it and recognize it. And that makes a big difference. And as far as the answer to your question, how has, how has you know, promoting servant leadership and the other's first mindset based on Philippians 2, 3, and 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in all things, all things with humility, value others above yourself, looking out for their interests, not your own. That, that is, to me, is the mantra for leadership. It's the mantra for sales. It's the mantra for business. It's a mantra for working in teamwork. And what we have seen with our clients is a massive shift many times where just having one concept to hold on to, and one thought process of, oh, yeah, others first. Yeah, put others first. That's great. It's changed the dynamic of employees. It's changed the dynamic with customers. And it's certainly had a major impact on results. So 
It's just really interesting to hear how she put it in a different framework, Mm -hmm. how powerful that is when you implement that into an organization. Yeah, it is cool that between grit and grace and demanding versus being demeaning or just simply putting others first, you know, I mean, they're they're kind of different lexicons, if you will, that leaders can cling to, (laughs) right, and kind of make a... uh, uh, you refer to it as like a, a, you know, you need to cultivate standard bearers in your organization. Well, it's right. like a standard bearer has to hold up what a standard, right? And That's it's right. Like that the standard has to be set. So it's cool that um, the standard can be the same, if you will, but it can be adapted, if you will, to specifically fit the culture that you're trying to build in your organization. Yeah, one of the things that's always been interesting to me is that um, companies will bring in new people, and they'll make the mistake of saying to them, "Well, you're new. We don't expect a lot out of you, but you'll get there." <laughs> I never said that once in my career. I brought people and said, you're new and I want you to be better than my best guy within yeah. 90 days. Sure, <laughs> yeah, go, get the work. Uh, okay, how do I do that? I go, well, I'm going to teach you, but you got to believe it first. And it's amazing how many times that happened. And what that did was when they got there because somebody believed in them, mm. guess what happened? Guess what the top dog did, the top producer? I'm not letting that new person beat me. And they, the next yeah, month- They got better. They got better yeah. and they overtook it. And now you build positive, powerful competition that makes a massive difference. Love that. Well, I do have one more highlight from your conversation with Katie uh, before we move on to a guest who just frankly needs no introduction. Um, Let's listen back to how Katie has been leading her team at AIM to prep the broker trainer specifically for the market that we're experiencing today. And their focus was 100% on the importance of relationship. We've been talking to our members for the last couple of years, even before rates dipped and going into 2020, quite frankly, it was, you have to be ready for a more competitive environment. You need to focus on relationships. You need to focus focus on experiences and creating raving fans that are going to help do the work for you to get your name out there, get your brand out there and make sure that you have a consistent pipeline flowing in when opportunity arises, that you're not having to spend as much time developing in the future. If you're taking the time with every client that you're working with today, those are going to grow exponentially into larger opportunities moving forward. And I think most of our members did a really great job of not ever leaving those relationships behind by being tempted with the low hanging fruit when rates were really low. They were working crazy hours like everybody was trying to keep up with the refi boom, but they never let the relationships with their referral partners, with the real estate agents in their area or their title partners, or even builders in some cases, they never let those things fall to the wayside. And so now they have those relationships in place. And if they don't, a lot of what we're talking about is creating those relationships in your local market, really digging into community investment and community development, because that's where the opportunity is going to come from. Um, There is a housing shortage. Everybody is aware of that. We've got lots of stories where we hear people say, I have five pre-approved buyers that are bidding on the same house. Only one of those five can win. What do I do with the other four? Um, I think our our message is going to continue to be and consistently be Build a raving fan every time with every person that you touch during that transaction. Make sure the customer experience from the first time that you engage with someone or the first time they engage with your brand all the way through closing and even transferring into the servicing space, right? Be the expert, be the resource that somebody knows they can rely on. And then make sure that you're asking for those referrals throughout the process. Ask for reviews, ask for referrals, ask the seller's agent, if they know anybody else that you can work with and create those opportunities for yourself in the local space where you are already seen as the expert, shortage is going to normalize over time. Rates are going to normalize at some point. Um, But this really is the 
the people who've invested over the last couple of years and the people who invest in their relationships today are the ones that are going to win. Um, and they're the ones that are going to have sustainable models that they can continue to grow into. Yeah. I mean, obviously that's so true. I mean, some, some nuggets there for sure. I mean, the importance of building a relationship, the importance of being an advisor and giving, you know, quality advice to your, to your borrowers, the importance of asking for referrals and building your own business in the process. I mean, when it comes to talking about the importance of relationship, real relationship, as you like to say, right? right? I mean, this is your bread and butter. I mean, yep. Yep. so, so let's talk about why is building, maintaining relationship and earning your borrowers and referral partners trust, especially important and mission critical in a market like today? Because people buy from people they like. It's the oldest rule in the book. And, you know, anybody can talk about product. Anybody can talk about program. Anybody can quote a rate. That, that doesn't make you special. People want to know that you're in it for them. They want to know that, that, that you're looking out for their best interest. And they want to know you truly care about their success in what you're doing. Um, and, and that's why relationships are so powerful. I mean... Katie, literally right there in two minutes. If anybody listened to that, you ought to repeat that 15 times till you memorize it because she Definitely. literally laid out in two minutes the formula for success for any originator or any lender out there. It's creating those raving fans. I When I was the director at Sears Consumer Finance, my last corporate job, the phrase I used was surprise and delight. That that was the phrase that we coined in our company. I said, I want you to surprise and delight every single partner, every single customer we work with. So they, they can't compare you to anybody else. You're like nobody. That's what raving fans create is when they think of your product or service, they think of you. And, you know, we see this all the time. She mentioned it. You know, we have a tendency that when rates go low, refinances get good, we step away from our partnerships. Okay. Yep. Same thing with just customers. We, we we make the customer, we're best friends with the customer till it closes and they never hear from us again. Can't do that. It doesn't exactly surprise and delight. It doesn't surprise and delight. It doesn't create re repeat business. And the people who are successful are always the one that maintain those relationships long-term. It creates long-term renewal and repeat business and referral business. And, and, and that's the key to success. And it's all based on relationship. You know what's really interesting, Jake, about all of this? Think about all the people we've we've gone through so far, nine or so guests, okay? From analysts like Logan to CRM guys like Scott Payne uh, to, you know, people who are on the radio like Rob West. And what's the one common thread every one of them have talked about? Connection and relationship with your customers. Yeah, if, that's right. If yep. that isn't the secret to success from all these successful people, I'm not sure what is. Yeah, and I think it's 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 having the relationship so that you can give quality advice and the advice will be received, right? Yeah. Because like you can be the smartest person in the world and give the best strategy for a mortgage or anything else. You yeah. know what I mean? If people don't know and trust you, you know what I mean? It falls on dead ears. Yeah, yeah you yeah, haven't exactly. earned that trust to do that. And, and there's something that we call the law of reciprocity. The law of reciprocity means that when you do something nice for somebody or you treat somebody in a certain way, they feel as though they need to respond in kind. Mm. That's another reason why relationships are so important. You don't do it to get something in return if you're doing it for the right reasons, but you're going to get something in return because people are like, wow, that person went the extra mile for me. What can I do in response? I tell the joke all the time. You're at the office. It's Christmas Eve and somebody in the office shows up and brings you a bag, a, a present and you didn't have anything for them. And what do you do? You look at me and go, oh, thank you so much. You know what? 
Yours is in the car. And you'd run out, run to the local CVS pharmacy, throw a bunch of stuff in a Christmas colored bag and bring it back because you're like, I got to do something in return. It's the same concept. No, that's so good. Well, we couldn't have possibly produced an entire season of a podcast featuring Dylan Million without featuring one of your oldest friends and allies in the industry, the one and only... Barry Habib. Barry Habib. That's right. You guessed it. Uh, yeah. I love mean, that guy. Oh, yeah. I mean, how, how, oh, how could you not? Dear friend. Uh, yeah. Um, this was a meat and potatoes episode, right? So, yeah. you know. It always is when we get together. Yeah. So going back and just taking a highlight, I mean, we're really just skimming the surface of this conversation. So, you know, and, and even doing that, it's still going to be a value dump to anyone who's listening to this recap. So um, let's start in our highlights with, with Barry's synopsis of why, even though this is a tough market, the shock and awe that we've seen from commentators, from pundits, it, it doesn't fully reflect the data. Um, are there challenges in this market? Yes, absolutely. We're all feeling those, of course. But there's also opportunity and there are reasons to stay positive and to get to work. So let's hear some of those reasons from Barry. You and I have talked about this. I remember when I called the recession for 2020, in 2019, everybody thought I was nuts. And sure enough, it happened in January of 2020. And we have been calling, believe it or not, since 11 months ago, it's on MBS Highway, it's documented. We made the call for second half of 2022, looks like a recession to us. Again, everybody thought we were nuts, but the methodology is proving out that it's going to more than likely be very accurate. So Dale, right now people are looking at the market and they're saying, hey, you know, it feels a lot worse. The NBA estimated 2.6 trillion in originations. I think it'll come in less than that, but let's just say it comes in 2.3. That would be like the third best year in the last 16 years in volume. So there's volume out there. We just got to get our share. And purchases for all the hand rigging and all the crap that you hear on TV, purchases, when you compare them to the last decade, they're at a very strong level. Now, we had this big dip because of COVID. This here, a lot of that is makeup for the big dip. So we're coming off of very high levels. Now, when you say, okay, let's compare it to the previous year, it looks like purchases are going down. But if you take the noise out of COVID and the crazy influence that the Fed had and, you, and the QE, and you say, let's compare it to 2019, 2018, 2017, 2017, it compares very favorably. This is a very good market. So don't believe the crap in the media. Yeah, it, it's not just weird that we've heard this from. We've heard it from Logan Motoshami as well, another analyst we who talks about the the recession glory hounds or whatever he calls them, right? The yep. the, the 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 crash bros. <laughs> um, you've obviously been a sounding board to our clients throughout these market shifts. Um, it's not all bad, even in this market. It's not all bad. Can you add to Barry's comments on why that's the case? Yeah, I, I mean, I would even go on to say it's it, it's a whole lot of good to be honest with you. Sure. Um, and and you know. Look, Barry is by far the best prognosticator on these kinds of things of anybody I've seen in the 27 years I've been a speaker. I've watched Barry for a long time. I've known Barry for a long time. We've spoke on a ton of stages together and been friends for a long time. And the thing I love about Barry that I also agree with him on is, you know, there's enough people talking about the bad stuff out there. Let's talk about some of the good stuff. Well, you look at today's marketplace and everybody says it's a bad time to borrow. It might be the best time to borrow right now, because when you look at things like the purchase market, for example, OK, so rates are up, but listing prices are down. You've got an offset. OK, rates are up, but tax deductions because of higher rates 
are way up and creates yeah, sure. benefits for consumers after the fact. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, back when you look when rates were really low, you couldn't get a house. You had to bid against 90 other people. You had to bid 30, 40,000 over listing price. There was no seller concessions. FHA and VA offers weren't being accepted in many parts of the country. These are all gone. So not only would, was Barry dead right, I, lo I love the fact that that was several months back and he nailed the exact number that the, that the actual projection's coming in at for uh, this it's, year. It's crazy. It's amazing how much this guy knows. Um, and, and he's absolutely right that this is a strong purchase market. We've got population numbers working for us for decades. When you look at Gen Y and Gen Z, 168 million people, much bigger than the two previous generations. So there's no shortage of demand. And when you add to that, rents are surging all over the country. There's a lot of good reasons why people should still be buying. And the whole concern about, well, if I buy, the value's going to go down. If I'm originally going to say, you're right, probably is. But think back to 2008 and nine. Do you wish you'd have bought two or three houses sure. then? <laughs> because if you would have, you'd be rich right now. Well, the same thing could be, we could be saying the same thing in 2028, about 2023. Um, it, it's a process of understanding that value goes up, value goes down, value goes up, value goes down, and they usually go up more than they go down. And it's all about the value you can create in that time. So we need to look for the good positive things in the marketplace and quit folks on the negative. And if you're hearing the negative, plug into me, plug into Barry, plug into Logan. The three of us are going to tell you the good news so that you can really, really attack the market from the right uh -huh, perspective. Yep. No, yeah, that really is. That's the that's the positivity triumvirate in, uh, in mortgage news. So I couldn't say that word if I wanted to. <laughs> I just lost half our audience. Um, no, it's so funny that you you go there right away, though, because um, the next clip that we're about to, to roll with Barry... One of the most compelling arguments that he made in this conversation was um, that that there's still an argument to be made for convincing renters that even in a high rate market, home ownership can be the better long term investment. Um, so I'm just going to leave it to Barry's words. Let's look at the data and let's hear Barry's argument for that exact case. Dale, you know this. The way we build trust, my humble opinion, two ways. First, knowledge. Show that customer that you're a master of your yep. craft and you're knowledgeable because if you could teach them things and they make sense and you could articulate them, they will start to trust you more. The other- Agreed. I, I, think, I, I think that's so understated uh, by everybody in the industry other than you and I. We've always believed this. Being an educator is your number one role as a loan officer. That's where your value is at, is in providing great advice. And the, uh, You're correct, Dale. I agree with you. And then the other thing, brother, is that we need to be vulnerable. And we need to stop selling. And instead of trying to yep. tell them everything that's there, an advisor can show you benefits, but they'll also show you the negatives. So what we believe in here is let's show them the pitfalls of homeownership as opposed to renting, because there are some. For example, your property taxes will go up. And for each market, we know what the averages are. The average monthly repair cost for that property. You know, you're not going to have this every month, but that's something that if you were renting, your landlord would take care of. And then if you were renting, you just say bye-bye when the lease is up. If you're selling to dispose of the home, you probably will incur costs. So let's count down to 6% of the appreciated value of the home as your cost. So let's give them all the bad stuff. Now that we've done that, let's take a look at what's going on. So our tools have every estimated rent in every zip code for every market value. So we came up with this one. It was $2,200. But let's say you're getting a smoking deal and you're only going to pay $2,100. Now, the rents in the United States are going up at roughly 8% a year. 
But we picked some place like Las Vegas where rents are only going to go up 6% a year, been going up 6%. So we wanted to try and make it, we want to make this look as pretty as possible. You're getting a smoking deal. Your rents aren't going to go up as much. This is We want to make this as favorable as we possibly can for the renter. So when you take a look and compare it, you could say, wow, $29.50 versus $21.30 to rent. That's $830 a month or $826 a month more to purchase the home. That's crazy. I should be renting. Well, the purple line is your rent. Notice how over time it eventually eclipses the cost of ownership. And this doesn't account for the fact that that non-QM could have been refinanced to a lower rate. This is you keep that same seven and a quarter percent rate. Now, over the nine years that they expected to be there, on a cash flow basis, you'd lose $28,000 by buying, except monthly principal and interest. We all know the interest goes to the lender, but the principal is your own money. It's just in a different place. You know, if I had cash in my right. left pocket, Dale, and I put it in my right pocket, it's not spent. It's just in a different location. The principal is money that instead of it being in your checking account, it's in equity in your home. It's a different location, same money. Yeah, I mean, a non-QM loan at seven and a quarter percent rate, and you can still make an argument for purchasing a home over renting. I mean, that's crazy. It is, I, yeah. I, but it's true. I, that's it, that's the beauty of, the, of this business is, you know, Barry's always been a guy, um, and this is one of the things I love about him, that he... He goes against the grain of normal thinking, and he's got knowledge and data to back it up. So what do loan officers do to facilitate and navigate conversations right now? You know, everyone's trying to drum up new business. There's tons of people running in America. You know what I mean? Yep. How, do, how do you facilitate and navigate those conversations to drive business in this market? Well, I think the first thing is, um, is I would, I would recommend anybody uh, jump in and join MBS Highway if you're not doing that because these tools are available readily that Barry's created. They're very powerful for originators. Um, I think the second thing is you've just got to be a master of your trade. You need to understand all these different dynamics. You know, that this is, this is where loan officers sometimes miss the boat is they just go in and sell product and price. No, 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 no. You need to understand the economics of home ownership. You need to understand the economics of renting. You need to understand simple concepts that when you rent every, this is simple economics, every, every year, your rent is going to go up more than your income. So you're always paying more than you should be. Where with a home, you buy a home every year, your payment feels smaller because your income's growing, but your payment's not. Yeah, These well things over time outrun those initial costs. Everybody looks at the initial costs instead of looking at the long-term benefit and impact. So it really comes down to having a mindset that is unlike most people in the business and almost all consumers, which is just tell me the short term. How does it affect me today? No. Let me show you the short term, but let me show you the, sh the long term. Let's use some good logic here and let's show you how this is going to work out over time. It's no different than investing in the stock market or anything else you do. You don't make decisions based on today if you want to make them well. You make them based on what's the future outcome going to be. That's the conversation you'd be having with your customers and helping them understand through education how to know the differences between those. That's so good. Well, if anyone's listening and is not currently a member of MBS Highway and wants to become one, we'll include a link in the show notes uh, for how you can do so. And I know Barry extended a discount uh, to our listeners uh, during the time of that, when that episode was released. Mm -hmm. We'll check back in with our team and see if they'll extend that. So anyone listening to this replay can also get that. Same oh, thing. I know, Barry. I know he uh, will. I, I'm confident he will as well. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. So, well, hey, we've made it to the very end of our season one uh, lineup. 
you know, we decided to do something special here for episode nine because we'd recently launched a brand new partnership with our friends over at Sales Boomerang and Mortgage Coach. Um, you can learn all about that in the show notes. We've written about it there. There's a link there that you can learn more. But um, so what we decided to do is we decided to split episode nine in half. Um, and instead of just featuring one industry player, we decided to feature two. Um, both of whom are making a big splash in 2022, and that's going to be Dave Savage and Alex Kutsushin. Yep. Worked really hard to get at that time, which is the <laughs> opener. Uh, it was the Ukrainian pronunciations, you know, you just got to work on them. But uh, no, both great guys, uh, really great conversation. So I, I figured we could start with a conversation with Dave. Um, you guys go way back. I mean, you trained him and his team in Southern California, what, in late 90s, early 2000s? Yep, late 90s. Okay, yeah. So it's it's been a minute. Um, and that was even before he launched Mortgage Coach. He was just in the process of starting it, which was really interesting. Okay. Um, and he was running a team of, I don't know, 20 loan officers or something at that time. And yeah, it's we've known each other for a long time. Long history. Well, and you guys have been rubbing shoulders on the speaker circuits ever since and whatnot. So um, Dave was moving to his studio at the time that we recorded this. So the footage is a little bit grainy. Um, he was working off his cell <laughs> that day. Uh, but the content is amazing. I really enjoyed this conversation. Um and, and specifically, you guys talked a little bit about um, the opportunity to actually gain market share, even in a difficult market like the one that we're in right now. Um, and, and David shared some examples of exactly how some top producing officers are doing that um, for some conversations that he's had. So let's, uh, let's take a listen to that. There are people that, you know, have the miss- don't have the missing link, and they're actually on point with yep. previous years. So, I mean, I interview top people and I know people that are actually going to have a better year this year than last year. Uh, and I know a lot of Me people too. that are some of America's most successful loan officers that are down 70%. And, and I would say the average among the best of the best is down 40%. Uh, so, but, but the point I want to make is there, there are ways to not be that down. You know, there, there, this is a time to get market share. I, I feel both you and I, the time that we were born into the mortgage industry, uh, I, I don't say 36 years anymore. I say I first loan I closed was it. 10.26% at like two and a quarter points. So I <laughs> got in the business when you were selling 10% rates. And, 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 and you had a really get good at creating value for consumers because no one liked that rate. And, and guys, we're in a market right. right now where last year when you told families what the rate was, they were either pleasantly surprised and they certainly weren't mad, even though they might've still shot for the best deal because when you tell a, a consumer and a borrower rates now, there it ranges from sad, mad, surprised, and it's up to you to reframe the conversation, provide context, differentiate, uh, creating wow for people. You know, getting them. You know, yep. it's it's never been easier. You know, I feel like you and I were born for this market because it is a conversion yep. market. Is it is it is a market share market, and it's also a market where people need to raise their um their sales iq and their sales fitness and that's why i'm so excited about the 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 um, training program that we're partnering on and we're creating together because you are a guy that was even born when rates you know when i say born i'm talking about as mortgage professionals you were born (laughs) into the industry when rates were even higher than they were when i got in in the business and and you worked for companies where you were you were not only selling not competitive rates, you were selling some of the, you were teaching and training loan officers how to sell the most expensive loans in the market. So you were, you just, you were born into rates aren't great. fees aren't great. It's all about value. And, and it's all about connecting that value to a consumer's personal needs into their heart, which guys back in the day when you were selling 
north of 10% rates, you had to really connect with people with, you know, at a heart level. And, and guys, that's what, that's what the best loan officers are doing now. So you got into the business in 87? 83. 83. And rates were 13 and a half? 17 and a half. For you. The bank's <laughs> yeah. 13, right? Yep. And you sold how many loans a month? Uh, average about 23. So what is everyone else's excuse? <laughs> <laughs> That's why I got promoted very quickly to branch manager. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah no. I, I just, but in all seriousness though, I mean, loan officers today, they have all the technology in the world. They have all the marketing support in the world, dozens of lead sources to draw from, colleagues that process their loans. I mean, you were processing your own loans, right? I mean, it's- We did it all, man. You were the loan officer. You were the processor. You were the underwriter. You were the closer. You were the funder. And you were the collector if they didn't pay you. So you had it all. For real. So they've got, they've got all of this support. And yet, loan officers are still struggling. You know what I mean? So there's got to be something different that you guys were doing back in those days that loan officers just aren't doing today. And and I don't think it's, you know, out of incompetence or anything like that. I mean, we no. know that. It's just- No. They just haven't been taught. You know what I mean? Just haven't been shown the way, if you will. You know, they came into the business and uh, the, the mold had been set for them and it was technology forward and everything else. And there's nothing wrong with technology, but, you know, it doesn't, it ultimately doesn't sell loans. People sell loans. So, yep. so what did you guys do back in those days that you could sell a 17 plus percent rate and somehow save people money over a 13 and a half from the banks? Well, we didn't do what everybody does, not everybody, a lot of people do today, which is focus on price, product, and program. Uh, you've heard me say it multiple times. I say it all the time when I teach. We focused on people. We focused on benefits. We focused on what are you really trying to accomplish here? You know, I'm going to go back to uh, one of the comments was made earlier about, you know, not selling. We didn't sell. We solved. That's mm -hmm. what we did. It was all about solutions, not selling. So... We, we really got, sat down, got to know our customers well, got to understand what their financial goals were. And then we we were very good at leveraging debt, uh, taking high payments and high rates and combining into refinances to create incredible benefits for borrowers. We were really good at showing them uh, all of the benefits long-term of owning a home and how that's going to offset the initial rate. And that as rates go down, you just adjust back down and you create that additional savings so that for years to come, you're doing it. And, and and we really focused on the power of home ownership and what that meant from an emotional vantage point, not just from a physical vantage point. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. So it was really it really comes down to connection and conversation that we had that doesn't happen today. Yeah, no, that's so good. Well, Dave and the mortgage coach team have joined forces with Sales Boomerang. We mentioned that a little bit. Um, it's an amazing platform, an amazing resource, especially in low volume markets like what we got today. Um, so you also connected. Uh, in, in episode nine with one of their co-founders and their chief innovation officer, Alex Kusishin. Um, a lot of ground was covered in this conversation in a short period of time, but I thought this clip of Alex talking about the power dynamic, if you will, between realtors and loan officers, um, it was money. It was, it was, and if nothing else, a very interesting note to end this sort of season one recap on. So let's hear about that from Alex. You know, in 2016, when we started development in 2017, when we launched, I remember meeting with, with a bunch of lenders learning about the industry and how important they made the agent relationship and it confused me. I'm like, why are you guys just catering to the agent? Why isn't the agent catering to you? Right. I'm like, well, the agent's got all the referrals. I'm like, oh no, they, they said they got the deals. I'm like, agents got deals? Yep. Well, yeah, they refer business to us. I'm like, whoa, whoa, they got a referral, but you make the deal, right? Right. And we got the money. The business they refer to you. <laughs> turns actually into a deal. All That's of right. Them? Like, no, no, a big percentage doesn't. So actually you have the deals. 
and you're going to refer them back to them. And so over the years, we've really found a way to maximize that. And now yep. um, the lenders that use this strategy are just, they're just dominating. They're like, um, we have a great success story with one group that in nine months referred 150 deals to their agents wow. that turn into, what was the number? Shoot, I can't remember. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I apologize. 600 deals, okay, to their agent partners that turn into 150 million in new purchase. Wow. That's, that's unheard of. That's amazing. A, a lender referring that much business is unheard of. But now it's consistent. It's regular. It's happening everywhere. And so that is the way to succeed, but not just in this market. You know what, Dale? I hate thinking about this industry as, as markets. Like the things that you teach are the, the beauty of it is it works in every market. You just enhance certain things in certain markets. That's right. But people need to stop thinking about this industry as in markets. It's like, what can I always be doing? Yep. Like, what are the great things that I should always be implementing and not... Oh, now it's this market. I should start doing that more. I should refer business to my agents. Just do it all the time. Like, like, like do that. The, your call of how can I get, if you're in a house, how can I make it less expensive for you? Are you kidding me? Like, that's the most brilliant talk track I've ever heard. Agreed. <laughs> so we got the money, right? And uh, as you like to say, we are what money giver wares. That's right. <laughs> so, so walk me through this dynamic between a loan officer and a realtor, right? How does a loan officer today maybe take back some of the the power, if you will, in that relationship, and be in the, put themselves in the driver's seat to drive more business and and not not at the expense of the referral partners, but to add value to them and ultimately to the customer. Yeah, what a great question, and I like the way you phrased that, Jake. So look. We obviously need to honor our realtors greatly. And here's the key to the realtor partnership. It's a partnership. You are looking at how you can help them build their business, not talk to them about how they can help your business. That's the first That's mistake good. that loan officers make. But the other side of that, and, the, and the, the, the concept that I've taught forever that I've never heard really taught anywhere else, and this is what I've always believed is, the loan officer needs to be the center of that transaction, not the realtor. Mm. We we actually overpower the realtors many times. We, we, we just bow to them as the center of the transaction, when in fact, they're just the referral partner. Without you, they've got no business. Without your understanding of rates and fees and how loans work and down payments and all of the things that happen, most transactions without cash buyers, the transactions don't happen. So yeah, that's, that's the right. way that you position yourself to do that is through what we've mentioned many times, which is education. You educate the borrower at a level that the realtor doesn't. And especially today, that's super easy because the realtors today, it's just about, man, just sell it as quick as we can because the market's been so hot. Sure. You can really settle in and educate them in a powerful way. So you arm that 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 customer with information that protects them. Mm. And, and here's the last thing. We need to be the checks and balances. You know, one of the common questions I get, for example, is a lot of realtor firms start their own lending companies. A lot mm -hmm. of builders do that. Mm -hmm. And lawyers say, well, what do I do with this? You know, the, the realtors also got their lender and they're trying to push me. I go, well, you just simply need to look at that customer and go, do you really want all your eggs in that one basket? Don't you want your lender working on your behalf to protect you in case there's something the realtor maybe isn't telling you should know? And don't you want that realtor protecting you from a lender who might not be telling you everything you know? By having that system of checks and balances, you're actually in a much better position of success. 
And that makes sense to people when I explain that to them. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. So we really need to take back and say, look, we're the ones with the money. Nothing happens without the money. So yes, we honor our realtors. Yes, we treat them great. We treat them like partners. But at the end of the day, we need to build a relationship with the customer stronger than the relationship they have with the realtor. Then you don't lose Mm. by getting unhooked by a realtor. Mm -hmm. Man, that's so good. So, you know, today we talked a lot about how the advice that our incredible guest gave us throughout season one applies to this market. And that's so true. But I do love Alex's insistence that some things aren't market specific. They just work. Yep. They're truly best practices that loan officers should keep all the time. So I think it's fair to say, Dale, <laughs> you, you've you've honed those timeless best principles uh, into the selling system that's helped over a million mortgage professionals throughout your career achieve professional success. If someone's listening right now and is realizing that they don't have those best practices, where do you recommend that they turn? Come, come to mortgagechampions.com. We'll, we'll help you get there. I mean, look, you can try to figure it out on your own and it's going to take you years. Or you can invest in yourself and you can learn from a company where we have trained over a million loan officers, been in 600 plus different shops around the country. We've seen it all. We're going we're gonna to tell you what works and we're going to tell you the mistakes you're making that ain't working <laughs> that you need to fix <laughs> yep. to get there. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a simple process of you can either learn through time and pain mm. or you can learn through investment and, 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 and instantly make changes in your career that will instantly create production and success for you. And, th- and that's what we provide at Mortgage Champions because the one thing that I think makes us different is these aren't all my ideas. Heck, I'm not that smart. Not even <laughs> close. I- I've been around the best of the best of the best for decades. And-, and the one thing that I learned when I started in this business 39 years ago, the one commitment I made is I will never be the guy that is the smartest guy in the room. I- I'm always going to learn something from somebody. And there's always somebody who can do it better, faster, and-, and smarter. And you know what? I'm going to ask them. And then when I hear, I'm going to tell other people because we all can succeed together. Like we talked earlier, there's plenty of business for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Well, season one was a roller coaster. Uh, it's no small feat to launch a podcast, cultivate a prestigious lineup, ask thought provoking questions all while running a company. So let me just take a moment to congratulate you, Dale, on an amazing first season and to thank all of our guests for adding so much value to our listeners. And of course, to thank you, our listeners, for sharing the show, reviewing the show, giving us feedback. We're immensely grateful for your listenership and want you to know that we have a lot more up our sleeves for uh, season two and beyond. And uh, the launch of that uh, next season is is right around the corner. We're excited about it. Well, Jake, I appreciate that. But uh, it, it needs to be noted, none of this happens without your genius, all of the work you did behind the scenes, the production quality. Oh my gosh. You know, you just made me look way better than I am. And I appreciate that. And, uh, I don't know uh, about that, but and 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 those great guests that we have, we we're, we're very fortunate to have such good friends yes, yes. that are just incredibly uh you know, just wonderful people yeah. and incredibly wise. Um, been very the, the Lord has blessed us in that area to really know some great people, and I'm glad we That's were right. able to share a microphone with them to hopefully share really powerful information to the mortgage community that will help them this year. Yeah, what are you looking most forward to with season two? I mean, we're we're switching up the lineup a little bit. What are you looking most forward to? Yeah, well, the thing I'm most excited about is we're we're, we're really changing the diversity of it. So mm-hmm. year one was a lot of executive, very well known, very powerful in the business, and 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 just very wise people that that have seen a lot of things. 
this year we're going to combine it between those kinds of people, but also frontline people that that really are the most important people in the business sure. um, yeah. that that can really talk to what are they doing in this marketplace to win. So we're we're going to have that great, I think, you know, combination of the senior veteran with the originators and the people that are out there every day doing it uh, to give both sides of the coin so that people really learn how to just go be successful. Can't wait. I can't either. Thank you so much for all your hard work on it. Oh, same. Show wouldn't exist without you, obviously. Uh, so yeah, no, you're you're the guy. You're you're the guy behind the microphone for a reason. So <laughs> keep it up. Uh, well, that's all the time we have for today. Um, Dale, thank you so much again for for making this priority. I know you got such a busy schedule. I don't think people understand how busy your schedule is. So it means a lot that you could sit down and do this. Um, it, I, I'm I'm very confident this is going to be an amazing resource for anyone who is able to listen to it. So I think so. Thank yeah. you again. Um, but you can let us know if this is helpful to you or not. Uh, go ahead and share your thoughts by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or whatever is your favorite podcasting app. You can also send us an email at listen at davidmillion.com, or you can just find us on social by searching Warrior Champions in your favorite app. Dale, any final thoughts before we part? No, look, um, my, my final thought for everybody would be this. Look for the good in the industry. Hmm. Believe in what you're selling. Homeownership's not going away anytime soon. People are always going to need us. This, this is the centerpiece of the U.S. economy. The thing that makes the United States economy different from any other country's economy is we offer homeownership to everybody, not just to the elite, but to everybody. And we're all a part of that. We all play a role in that. So when you get up in the morning, start your day right. Think about the good. Don't get caught up in the media and the news and all the bad stuff. And remind yourself every day you're making an inherent difference in the life of every person you come in contact with. Live true to that. You'll be absolutely fine. Well, you heard it here from the man himself. Thank you so much for everyone for listening, and we will see you in season two. Yep. God bless. Thank you. 